morning, church. <laughs> Welcome, neighbors. Um, I am glad to be together with you. We are beginning a new series together, so if it's uh, the first time that you've been with us or you haven't been with us in a while, it's a good, a good time to jump in and get started. And we are kind of looking at that question that Psalm 8 poses. What is man that you are mindful of him? Why, why does God care at all what we do? Obviously, God has a lot on his plate. He's got a big world that he um, takes care of. He's got a whole lot of things that are spinning around. Um, globally, there are some concerns that I think should require God's attention. And so why would God care about me? Why would he care about the concerns that I'm concerned about? And why does he care what I do with my life? If I leave him alone, shouldn't he just leave me alone? And um, spoiler alert, the answer is no. <laughs> like, he won't just leave you alone. He cares about you too much to do that. But why, why would God be so invested in us? Why does he care about us as individuals? Why does he care about us as a group? And what does he want for us to do? Um, and ultimately, what happens when we do it wrong? What are some symptoms of the things when things are going wrong for us? Um, and really, it comes down to identity. Like, do you, I don't have, I do have my wallet on me. Like, when you think about your identity, does it match up with what shows up on your driver's license? I can't even get mine out of my wallet, so bad example, I guess. But like, like when you look at your driver's license, or obviously, if you have this in your possession, um, it's been my experience that if you have this in your possession, you can go and you can pretend to be me, beard or not, because um, I do not have a beard in this picture. And uh, you can take out credit cards and you can um, get arrested and then be arrested under my name. And then I end up with a warrant on out whether I did anything wrong or not. That's been our experience. Um, your, your identity, like, is it locked up into our driver's license? If I, were, if I were to meet you on the street and say, hey, this is everything you need to know about me and just kind of handed you my driver's license, would that be sufficient? Or would you want to know more? <laughs> like, we're, you want to know more, Sarah. Thank you. Um, like, as humans, we actually rebuff the idea that we don't, like, that our identity can be summed up into our social security number or that our identity can be summed up into even the job title that we have, or our identity is summed up in our kids. This is something that I have tried to, been like, tried to be really conscious of when I meet moms who have kids to always address the mother first. Because everybody who ever talks to that mom in the grocery store talks to their kids before they talk to them. And so moms can sometimes feel like my identity is in these children because they're the ones who get addressed first when we're out in public. Like, do I even exist? Am I just like a food machine constantly churning things out? Like, is our identity just wrapped up in what we can cook? Or is it about more than that? Is it about our relationships? Does it matter who our family is? Does it matter who we spend time with? Does it matter who we invest our time with? Does it matter the kind of work that we do? Like, does it matter whether we like the kind of work that we do? Does it matter whether the work that we do, we feel like we're making the world better by the work that we do? And identity is a question that 
is difficult to address, I feel like, in our, in our culture today, because it's something that's actually on the news a lot, but it's on the news from a perspective that doesn't seem to be very interested in, the, in what the Bible has to say about it. And so all of us have been exposed to conversations about identity, and so we all come to the conversation with baggage. Um, this is actually the second time that I have tried to begin and work through a sermon series on uh, identity and us being the what we're going to get to us being created in the image of God. And the first time I came to it, I was so overwhelmed by trying to pull apart the conversation that I I really just flubbed the whole thing. I won't even tell you where it is on the archives. I might have deleted it because it was just that terrible. Um, it's it's hard thing to piece together. And so I'd like for us to take a couple of steps together as we look at this. And so. If you're familiar with some of my teaching style, this sermon has a way different flow than anything that I'm used to or that I'm comfortable with, but I feel like I need to take it slow and just say the points so that we have a basic groundwork to work from so that when we come to this conversation, we're all using some of the same language and we understand what we mean by it, all right? Does that make sense? Can we do that? And I hope, like, I'm... I understand that this isn't like a really riveting introduction, like, oh, I really, oh, it's going to happen. Like, but my hope is that as we get into this and as we do begin to wrestle with the question that the psalmist poses in, in Psalm 8, who is man that God would be mindful of us, that that is really what grabs our attention. That's what grabs our affection as we begin to move through this series this morning. So I just ask as we begin, if you would pray together with me um, and Uh, we've been in the habit of praying together the disciples' prayer. And this isn't a magic formula. These words don't um, bring down manna from heaven or anything like that. But it is the model of prayer that Jesus left for us to do. And if we're going to pray it together, it's helpful for us to use the same words. But as we do that, just because you know the words in your head doesn't mean that you can disconnect your heart. So let's pray these together. Let's not say these together. Let's turn our attention to the Father and let's pray these words together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Where to begin a series like this? I think the easiest place to begin is in the beginning. So if you'd open up your Bibles to page 1, Genesis chapter 1. For most of us, it'll be page 1. Your Bible might be a little bit different. But Genesis chapter 1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's uh, God doesn't take the time at the beginning of his revelation about himself to prove his existence. He says, look, I am, I exist, and I made. And that's really all you need to know about it. If you want to argue with me about it, like you're proving my point, right? 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made everything that there is. He goes through, and as the scriptures describe it, goes through six days of creation, having made um, waters and land and sky and planets and stars and sun and moon and then fish and birds and then animals and critters and things like that. And I want to actually start reading in verse 20 because there's a shift that happens and I want us to be able to see the shift. So if you'd read with me in Genesis 1, beginning in verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swam according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I'm going to pause there. As we read the creation narrative, as God describes the things that happened before anybody was there to witness what was happening, he's talking about the different creatures that he made. He talks about the birds and the fish and the creeping things and the livestock. Everything has its category, and everything stays within its category. That's a point for a different sermon, but I just would like to say it here. But, but notice that when it comes to humanity... We are created distinct from the rest of the animal kingdom. God makes all the critters. Then he says, I'm going to make something different. I'm going to make something that is like me. I'm going to, we are going to be, or it is going to be made in my image. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So humanity is created distinct from the other animals. We have an inherent dignity by the fact that we are born humans. That each and every one of us, whether our parents planned for us or not, whether, uh, whether we had a good life or, or a bad life, whether we have great circumstances or bad circumstances, whether we were born free or born into slavery, whether we were born in America or across the the world in Asia, every human that has ever been born has been born with an inherent dignity because they were created distinct from the other critters that God made. Humanity is created in the image of God. 
And there may have been a time where I didn't have to make that point so vehemently, but I hope you understand the narrative that I'm talking against. Humanity was created distinct from the other animals. We cannot look to the animal kingdom for instructions about morality. We were made to be different, and we were made to have a different set of standards. God created us to be made in his image, and we were created to have dominion over the rest of the critters. There's a a, a different relationship that God has set up for us, and we have an inherent dignity. We, as the image of God, as the picture of God, as the likeness of God in flesh, represent God's power and authority to the rest of creation. This is going to make sense to us as we go through the next few weeks, but I want to make the point here. This is a weird idea to think about, and I suspect that it might be the first time you've ever heard of it. In the, in the time that this was written down the first time, it was written down by Moses, and Moses was writing to a group of people that had lived in Egypt for their whole lives. They'd been there for generations. And in Egypt... The way that they understood their relationships to gods were the gods were somewhere, but we make these idols as representations of the god, and we talk to the idol so that the god will hear us. The idol is kind of the mediator between us and what it is. And so as Moses is writing this down to the first audience who would read it, he's saying, the idol is you. You are the one that was created in the image of God. You don't make it. It doesn't come from you. God made you to be his image to the rest of creation. And when you make an idol in the form of creation to represent some other kind of power in creation, you've completely rewired the way that things are supposed to work. I don't know a ton about electricity. I know enough about it to like not really want to do much with it because I've been zapped enough. Um, but I do know that if you put the circuit in backwards, it doesn't work. The circuit is designed to flow in one direction. And so God says from the beginning, I created the idol, I created the image, and I put it on the earth to represent me to the rest of creation. I made humanity. And when humanity makes idols to represent aspects of of creation, to manipulate creation, they've put the circuit in backwards. It's never going to work. In fact, you're in danger of shorting out the whole system and it getting fried. We're distinct from animals. We're made to represent God to the rest of creation. And notice in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So we've got a dude. We think of like Adam in the garden. In the image of God, he created him. And in the very next, not even towards, like not even the next verse, The next phrase in the same verse, in the same sentence, male and female, he created them. We were created for community. We're all born with inherent dignity. We all are created in the image of God, but there was something about the image of God that could not be held by an individual. 
that in order for God's image to be represented on the earth, he had to create a community. Now, I'm inclined with some of my theological background to say that that points us to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The text here doesn't explicitly say that, and if uh, we had some Jewish friends in here, they'd be really mad that I brought that up. It's not in the text here, but I do think that it's, it's open. Like, there's an open door here, and so I'm just going to stick that in there, all right? You catch me? But do you see that we were created for community, male and female, he created them. There's something about us that doesn't work right unless we're in community. Now, single people, that does not mean you are incomplete until you are married. That's not what I mean. Because the math in God's mind is two become one, which our math says that's subtraction. You start with two, you end up with one, then you have subtracted something. But then the two cannot be divided. You cannot bring them back to two. You actually end up with two halves. So I know that I'm stepping into something I don't have time to like, spend more time and expound upon. But I just, like, if you're single and you're reading, you're going, oh, great, like, until I find the right one, then I'm, I'm doomed forever. I'm never going to represent God well. No, that's not, that's not how God's math works. But the principle is, that we were created to, 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 for community. We know this. We know this probably better this year than we have for generations in America. Because for generations in America, um, our culture has advocated that the most important thing is the individual and the rights of the individual. And the individual needs to make the individual's decision. And you do you. YOLO. Heard ya. Right? We learned this year that we were created for community. Tell me I have to stay in my box for weeks on end, alone, I can't go and see people, like I can't talk, I can't, they can't see me, like I, I, no. And it's more than, there's, there's something inerrant in us that needs connection with other people. And I want you to know, it's hardwired in you from the beginning, we were created for community. Distinct from other animals in creation, to represent God, to the rest of creation. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion. So be fruitful and multiply. Be creative. Y'all will chuckle that I'm the one preaching to you that you should be fruitful and multiply. You get how I've interpreted this verse. You've, seen my, you've met my six children. Um, Let's, let's, let me bring it out of that realm for you for a moment, and let's move into chapter 2. In chapter 2, um, in verse 18, look at this. So the way, the way that these two chapters of the Scripture work is God gives a summary of everything that happened in chapter 1, and then in chapter 2, he does like an instant replay in slow motion. So he says, this is what happened, and then he says, this is how I did it. So in chapter 2, in verse 18, then the Lord God said, um, or no, I'm going to go back to uh, um, verse 15. It's not in my notes, but it should be. Um, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. So I'll pause there. 
Scripture opens, in the beginning God assumed, in the beginning God created. If we are made to be like God, then we should assume that we also will be creative. And implicit in our uh, um, biology is being procreative, right? So I've established that. But also notice, too, in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work, labor, was given as a gift from God before sin ever entered the picture. Work is not the curse. That's why retirement is so hard on us. Have you, have you met retired people in Florida? Ever? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> retired people are the busiest people I've ever met. Like, like, you would think, I would think, as a young guy, I would think, you got nothing to do. Um, but they have like filled up their schedule with something because they've stopped their working, and we can't stop our working. It's actually like part of us. Like there's something about us being active and doing things that reflects the image of God because God is active and engaged in the world that He made. Like we were created also to work, and that's not a part of the sin. The sinful part is that it's really hard and laborious, and the earth doesn't work with us, and our managers are always micromanaging us and nitpicking everything, and like the the things just fall apart. Like the, the cursed part of it is that work is hard, but the work in and of itself is actually inherent to what we were here to do. He put him in the garden to work it and to keep it, and he says, you know what? Even, even though everything's perfect, Adam, you and I have a perfect relationship. I walk with you in the garden. I am like digging in the ground with you. I'm showing you how to propagate these things, and I'm showing you how to keep things irrigated well, and I'm showing you how to you know, use the organic matter to make the garden even better. Like me and Adam, like Adam, we had a great thing. It's still not good for you to be alone. You were created for community. Let me make a helper for you. So we're distinct from other animals, made to represent God to the rest of creation, created for community, be fruitful and multiplying, being creative and working. And he leaves boundaries as well, 16 and 17. He said, hey, you can eat anything you want. I've made this whole world good and perfect for you. You can eat anything you want. Just not that one. Because the image has to remember who the image is a picture of. I try not to use a ton of parenting metaphors because I know sometimes they don't carry for people that don't have a ton of kids, like teenagers. (coughs) When my kids look at me and try to tell me something that I've been trying to teach them how to do for years and they're they're trying to teach me, I'm like, bro, who... Who do you think told you that? Why why are you telling me? The the, the image sometimes forgets what they're a copy of. How did you know that I was doing that? You didn't even see me. Bro, you came from me. That's exactly what I would do. I know exactly what you're thinking before you do. Not because I can read your mind, but because I can read mine. 
So God gives him this, this command. Hey, don't eat of that tree because you got to remember who you came from. Even though you are like the pinnacle of creation, you were the one who was made to be like me, you have to remember you are not me. Acknowledge the one who is God. And just leave that tree alone. Okay? Working together, walking together, being in relationship together. Two questions. And these are the only two application questions I have for the whole sermon. We're going to jump to a different text, but I'm going to come back to these questions. First question. Do we recognize the dignity that we were created with? Do we recognize the dignity that we were created with? There's a a part of me that wants to say to you, in a dark world where everybody wants to tell you how terrible you are, there's a part of me that wants to tell you, you were created in the image of God. You carry an inherent dignity from the creator of God Almighty. It was good before it was messed up. The prototype of creation is not sin. The operating system was good. The virus messed it up. And you were created in the image of God. Do we recognize the dignity with which we were created? There are times where I'm beating myself up, forgetting that God doesn't make junk. Do we recognize the dignity with with which we were created? But also, do we recognize it in one another? If this is true, and if we're going to hold fast to this, we can't call each other names. If, if we're going to say that we represent biblical Christianity and we're going to advocate for biblical principles to, to be influencing the culture, then we cannot be calling one another like names. In a political arena, like whatever, like we have to come to the table acknowledging that everybody at the table has the inherent dignity. And if they are expressing in a concern, I owe them the respect to listen to what it is that they're saying without trying to talk over them, without trying to shout them down, without demeaning them by calling them names, just to listen. Why? Because they're right? Maybe. Because I'm right? Probably not. But because God doesn't make junk. And he made them as much as he made me. Do we recognize the dignity with which we were created and do we recognize it in one another? The people that are on the street, the people that are in your work, the people that are on the internet, if there's a people behind it, was created with inherent dignity. Do we recognize that? And that was kind of easy. Do we honor the one whose dignity we inherited? I really think most people in the world would be really okay with me preaching, like, treat one another with respect. That's actually, I think that's politically safe to say, <laughs> outside of these walls. Um, treat one another with respect. But here's, here's the thing that we need to remember. Like, are we, we treat each other with respect because we inherited a dignity from another one. It's not 
is not in, is not inerrant to us, except that He gave it to us. We're not really all that great, except that we were made in His image. So do we honor the one whose dignity we inherited? Uh, we were created to honor God completely in our relationships and our work. We were created to honor God completely in our relationships and our work. From the very beginning, from, from, from before the garden and the garden, like relationships and work that we do, like those are the, kind of the two things that we're here for. Relationships amongst one another, relationships with God, relationships to our work. All of those things, we were created to honor God with them. That's kind of simple. But I'm real quick to forget this and to live as if it's not true. We know that things go wrong. I'm not going to actually read with you from... uh, Genesis 3, where the fall is and all of that, I'd like to jump into uh, the Christian scriptures, into, into the New Testament, and look with you um, at probably one of my favorite commentaries on these first couple chapters of, of the Bible. Do you know, do you know the, the Bible actually does commentaries on itself sometimes? And that's really helpful to me, because sometimes I miss things in the Old Testament, and the New Testament gives me clarity on it. So that's what I'd like for us to do. Um, would you navigate with me to Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter 1, and I'll, I'll tell you the page number here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Chapter 1. It's on page 1172, if you want to use these blue Bibles here. In describing the garden, I, I, I don't have to tell you that we don't operate in that way anymore. Something went wrong. The circuits got switched. Um, things are broken in the world that we live in. And, and the New Testament agrees. In, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I'm going to pause there. We will read more, but I'm going to pause there. Um, this this letter to the Christians that were living in Rome at the time was written by the Apostle Paul, and he um, is writing about how things have gone wrong and the way that we can see that things have gone wrong, have gone terribly, terribly wrong. He says, look, like we all started in the same place. 
If, if Adam and Eve were real people, then all of us began with like a, a cultural inheritance of walking with God. Do you realize that? Like if Adam and Eve had kids and had grandkids, then everybody who existed on earth knew the stories of Grandpa Adam walking with God. And they could go and visit Grandpa Adam and be captivated by his flat stomach. Not, not flat because he had like great abs, but flat because he didn't have a belly button. Right? Every human on earth could go and talk to Adam at one time. And we're all descendants of them, so our cultural inheritance ought to be walking with God in the garden. For every human ever, right? But we know that that's, that's not the case. Beyond that, beyond what we have forgotten, it says, it says the wrath of God is revealed, against, uh, revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. The, the rejection that we have done of God, God's angry about. He's frustrated with. Rightly so. For what can be known about God is plain to them. God has shown it to them. There are some things that are really clear to see in the world. There are some things that we know inherently when we are laying in bed trying to go to sleep. Like when we're quiet with ourselves, there are some things that we know to be true about the world. We know that God exists, that he must be powerful if he exists and he's created everything. And we must reflect him in some way. His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. We know it in our spirit ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So when we look at creation, have you ever looked at like a sunrise? Okay, maybe, maybe not a sunrise. I, I really like sleep. Have you ever looked at a sunset? Like, wow, that's really pretty. Gosh. I'm so thankful. I, it's beautiful. Why would we be thankful if we didn't come from the one who made it? There's something in creation that fills us with gratitude, which indicates to me that we came from something other than the created world. So we're at, without excuse. Although they knew God, remember, walked with God, that's, that should be our cultural inheritance. They knew God, they should have walked with God. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, claiming to know something, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's where the circuit got backwards. He said, I love creation. I think I'll worship that instead. And in order to worship that, I'll create this idol, this image, to be able to represent the God who controls that part of creation. God says, that's, that's not what it was about. You were created in my image. You were to represent me to creation, not this thing to represent you to creation. You can't cut me out of this. This is my thing. I made this thing. And that's how it went wrong. 
I don't remember which, which guy it is. Um, I want to say John Calvin. If I'm wrong, I mean, Google it. I'm probably wrong about who it was. But it said, our hearts are idol factories. We're constantly trying to make an idol of something. But it's not because God didn't make things good. It's because sin has corrupted things. There's a virus in the operating system. And just to set up what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks, I want to read the next verses. I'm not going to discuss them in depth because we're actually going to take some time in the next couple of weeks to explore some of these topics. But I just want you to see that they're here. Therefore, because humanity rejected God, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations with those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with the women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It really is a good thing that these ancient texts don't have anything to say about our day and age. Sin has broken the relationship between us and God. We have rewired our mind to think of ourselves as God. And God says, if you want to, if you, you think you can do this, have at it. But that ungodliness, that rejection of God, that I don't want God in my life, leads to a corruption of all kinds of relationships. Sexually, maritally, socially, how we interact with one another in social settings and, and how our government operates, like sin corrupts social constructs. Financially, we become greedy, distrustful of one another, we were created to honor God completely in our relationships and our work. And, and sin has broken it. So what do we do? If we were created to honor God completely in our relationships and our work, how do we, how do, how do we fix it? Jesus said, I'll take care of it. 
We're inclined to think most days, like on a normal day, if I were to ask you, hey, what's the problem? Like, what's the big problem in your life? Like, probably your answer wouldn't be sin. Sin's sin's my issue. And yet when Jesus came and said, I'm going to save you, he said, the problem in your life is sin. Let me pay for that. And he says, I'll pay for it in full. Just trust me. Trust me and, and, and walk with me. Just trust me. And so if we're going to honor God completely in our relationships and our work, it's going to happen through Jesus. If we're going to recognize the dignity with, when, with which we were created and with which everybody else in creation is created, if we're going to be able to forgive, then it's going to have to happen through Jesus. Every time I pray, forgive my debts as I have forgiven my debtors, it is a condemnation for all of the times I've held a grudge and all the grudges that I still hold this morning. Jesus, teach me to forgive. Do we honor the one whose dignity we've inherited? Because ultimately, Jesus came as a perfect picture of the image of God on earth. Hebrews 1 said that, that, that God had spoken many, many words. He'd spent volumes and in ink explaining himself, but when he, when he wanted to communicate, finally, this is what my character is, this is what I'm supposed to be like, if this is the one that's supposed to represent me to the rest of creation, he spoke through his son. He spoke through Jesus. And Jesus opens his arms and invites us to trust him and to follow him. When I look at that list of sin, like there's a couple that stick out. I'm like, oh, I know somebody who needs to read this. But if I'm thinking that, then I'm missing the disobedient to parents. How did that get on that list? There's a lot of really bad sins in there. How did disobedient parents get on there? Like, like I, can we just edit that out? Because don't tell my mom. I hope she's not watching the live stream. Like, don't tell my mom that that's on here. I try to make that point lightly, but just to say that there's none of us that don't need Jesus. Cleaned up, nice-looking church people, y'all are sinners too. Sorry. And the only reason I have any confidence to tell you that is because I have complete confidence in the one who will forgive them. We were created to honor God completely in our relationships and our work. So trust Jesus and follow him to do that. Would you pray with me? God, there's a lot here. A lot, a lot. And there's times where we can just get so distracted by rabbits running across the trail. And Lord, I know that the enemy does not want us to think deeply about whose it is that we are. But we acknowledge that all of creation is yours, that you made it, that the the heavens and the earth and the sun and the planets and the galaxies, it's all yours. And who are we that you'd be mindful of us? Oh God, remind us in whose image we are made. Help us to trust the one who speaks your character clearly into the world. Help us follow him.
in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.